This is the Hockey News Podcast. Welcome to the Prospect Podcast, brought to you by BetMGM. I am Ryan Kennedy. I got Steven, the producer, behind the scenes. He's going to feed me questions, but as we always do, I'm going to kick off with three players catching my eye for the 2022 draft. I'm going to start off with Adam Ingram from USHL Youngstown, uh, the big left winger with the Phantoms, 27 points in 20 games, and you know that's impressive on its own because the USHL typically is a league where it's hard to put up big numbers. But his closest teammate, I think, is nine points behind him. So Ingram is doing a lot of heavy lifting on that Phantom squad, looking real good, great offensive instincts, and obviously he can finish. So very fun to see what Adam Ingram can do the rest of the way. Next off, I'm going to go to the OHL and a, another big player, uh, center Luca Del Bell Belouz, one of my favorite players in this draft class right now because he kind of has that prototypical NHL game. He's a two-way center. You know, Mississauga has played Kingston a number of times already this year, and Del Bell Belouz has matched up against Shane Wright, who, of course, is going to be the number one pick overall. And um, Shane Wright hasn't had a ton of success against Mississauga, and I think Del Bell Belouz can get a lot of credit for that. Having said that, he's also good when he has the puck on his stick. 26 points in 21 games for a very good Steelheads team. So again, a player that I just think has a lot of NHL upside based on the way he plays the game already at such a young age. Uh, For the final player, I'm going to go to the back end, uh, defenseman Sam Rinzel from Chaska in the Minnesota State High School uh, circuit. Minnesota State High School Hockey is back. I've already been watching a bunch of it. It's very fun. Rinzel, uh, the number one center for the Chaska Hawks. Seven assists already in four games. Uh, This kid, again, big frame, and uh, he can really skate. He can help at both ends of the ice, and you know, obviously he's dominating at this level. He's also made his USHL debut early this year with Waterloo and did not look out of place. He's a University of Minnesota commit, so big things ahead for Sam Rinzel, and he's already looking good. So, Stephen, let's go to the reader questions now. What do you got for me? First off, just want to give a shout-out to the great cover, Two Year Left. Indeed. It is uh, our World Junior issue, and uh, as you can probably guess, it's talking about the World Juniors. Exactly. So, one of my favorites of the year. All right. First question comes from Adam Flett. Can the Wings finish 1-2-3 in Calder Trophy voting? And if so, what order? Well, I'm going to kill the second part of that question because I don't think the Wings are going to finish 1-2-3, even though Lucas Raymond, Moritz Sider, and Alex Nedeljkovic are having fantastic seasons. Uh, the main reason why is Trevor Zegras, who just pulled off a goal that no one had ever seen before in the NHL, or sorry, an assist, uh, where he... Michigan assisted it to Sonny Milano, who batted it out of midair. Um, so I think Trevor Zegras, uh, you know, he was he was a strong candidate heading into the season, and he's really sort of picking up speed now. So I would say that right now, him and Lucas Raymond are you know kind of neck and neck at the top of the scoring race. And then you got Moritz Sider, who as a defenseman is not too far off the pace either. So to me, those are your top three right now. And I would also consider Bowen Byram in Colorado as a player that, you know, once we get to the end of the season, uh, 
we're probably going to see him you know, get some consideration, maybe not to win it, but to be in the mix. And just because of the way the voting works, you know, you're going to get some votes splitting on the Red Wings. You're going to get some people that, you know, may prefer uh, Zegris or, you know, even they may prefer Bowen Byram over one of the other Red Wings. And so in terms of the votes, how it actually goes down mathematically, I think you're going to see a little bit of parity there. Having said that, you know, will a member of the Detroit Red Wings win the Calder Trophy? It is still a very good possibility, but I do feel the field overall is getting stronger. We will have a couple questions about Trevor Zegris, including something very confusing on the people who asked, because one of them is named Zegris's life, and he doesn't ask about Zegris. And someone says, or someone's name is Ducks Suck, and they're asking about Zegris. Mm. Also, another thing, all the talk about how great of a play that was by Zegris, but Sonny Milano is one talented player that we saw in junior hockey pulling off some incredible moves. You have to have good hand-eye coordination to score like that in close. Very true. And, you know, Sonny Milano has been one of the best stories outside of, well, it's funny, the Ducks have so many great best stories this year. Zegris and his magic, you know, Troy Terry and the way he broke out early on. and then, But Sonny Milano, I mean, he was basically a reclamation project for the Ducks. And, you know, he's made the most of his opportunities. So good on Sonny Milano, a player that, you know, obviously had been on the radar very early in his uh, pro career. And, you know, in his draft year, he was a very flashy player and a first rounder. Um, But, you know, things didn't work out the first couple of seasons. Now he's really kind of taken a role in Anaheim. And it's, you know, it's great to see. He has 20 points in 22 games this year. So he's having one heck of a season. Actually, check out the hockeys.com later today. I got a story about it. There you go. All right. Simon Hand, Brant Clark, what the heck? Yeah, that was the big story of Canada's World Junior Camp roster announcement. The lack of Los Angeles Kings first rounder, Brant Clark, who plays for the OHL's Barry Colts. And, you know, it's a bit of a head scratcher because he is a right-handed shot and Canada has basically all lefties i think there's two uh vince iorio and jack thompson who are right shots at camp and you know in the past teams have liked to have that left right split it feels like that's not a big deal anymore um but i digress you know what i mean he's a 2003 birthday canada has a lot of talent you know there were talks that his defensive game wasn't up to par and and that was one reason I don't know if we're ever really going to get the full picture of why he was not included in the camp roster uh it's a shame because he is very talented I am sure he'll be on the team next year and have a pretty prominent role and so for now I think Clark just has to use this as motivation and unfortunately for the rest of the OHL they might have to take the punishment for Hockey Canada snub I guess Barry there probably cheering almost in a way because very super happy yeah you'll see a lot of these teams that will lose their star player to the world juniors and then they'll just suck the entire time we're there like we saw Sudbury like they couldn't play anywhere close to what they could when Quentin Byfield was there right there's that Uh, two years ago of course Uh, all right Uh, Purple A great name after seeing Candles World Junior Championship camp roster what's your thoughts I think this is going to be another strong team. We, we say that basically every year about Canada, but, you know, you look at the high-end elements, you know, scoring's not going to be a problem because you've got Cole Perfetti, you've got Shane Wright, uh, you might have Connor Bedard, you know, you might have Dylan Gunther. You know, they're pretty deep up front. Xavier Burgo has been one of the best scorers in the queue this year. So scoring's not going to be a problem. 
uh, two-way play, not going to be a problem. You've got Luke Evangelista. You know, you've got an energy guy in Ridley Gregg. So they're going to be very well-rounded up front. They're going to be a pretty heavy squad, as they always are. The defense, I think, is going to be very tough to play against. And, you know, there are a lot of good candidates. We don't know what the final version of the team is going to be. We know that Owen Power will be there. We know that Caden Gooley will be there. Um, beyond that, you know, you've got guys like Donovan Sobrango, Ryan O'Reilly, Damon Hunt. You know, these are hard kids to play against. Um, and, you know, some of them have AHL experience already, so they played against men. So I, I think Canada is going to be one of those teams that doesn't really give up a lot of chances. And then, of course, in net, you've got some really strong goaltenders, where, whether it's Dylan Garand or Sebastian Kosa, uh, even Brett Brochu, who's undersized but is a great junior goaltender. So I think this is going to be one of those Canadian teams that does not surrender a lot of goals and they can really control the play. And then, of course, you know if you want to go flashy, they've, they've got some guys that can be flashy. But I think... This is going to be a very workmanlike team. And ultimately, you know, it's, you know, this tournament, a lot of it does come down to coaching. Uh, coaching and goaltending, they're not necessarily the most like exciting things to talk about, but it can be a real difference maker. And, you know, Dave Cameron has been in this tournament before. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he deploys players and what the actual final roster looks like. But the tools are certainly there uh, for them to be a gold medal favorite. Now, a lot of people are talking about how Canada didn't bring like a fourth goalie to camp just to make more competition. Mm -hmm. But at a point like this, I don't think it makes a lot of sense. Like you're talking about in that case, like who's going to be the third goalie? Who's going to sit upstairs the whole tournament? It's like just just give three, stick on those, focus on those guys. Like last year was a totally different situation to bring up. I think it was six goalies last year. But that's because they a lot of those goalies weren't playing competitive hockey. So Mm -hmm. that was kind of – and there was a longer camp. This is a camp where it's back to normal and you kind of want to get your focus ready. Totally. I agree. And, you know, sometimes bringing too many goalies can really muddy the waters where, you know, what if the guy that you brought in is kind of a stalking horse ends up being the best goalie in camp and you're not sure if you actually want him in the tournament or if he was just supposed to be the guy that helped everybody else raise their game. So I, I, I like what they did bringing the three. Then the net miners don't have to worry. You know, they're they're set. They can sort of get into the right headspace. They can learn, you know, who to work with their defensemen, they can work with the coaches. And, you know, to me, you know, Broshu is kind of the number three, and it's sort of a tip of the cap to him as to how well he has played for OHL London over the years. Um, but if you look at Kosa's size, if you look at Garand and how well he has played on a, on a very good Kamloops team, I feel like, you know, when it comes to the exhibition games in the camp, uh, in the training camp, you really just want these guys to get reps. And, you know, you, when you're playing exhibition games, you only got one net. So I, I think it's good to just get these kids kids the reps they need. And, you know, what you hope for is that somebody really puts their stamp early and sort of carries the crease. But, again, this year at least you have options. Whereas in a couple of the past years, you know, we had no idea who the starter would be. You know, Devin Levi wasn't even the <laughs> – he wasn't really even on the radar in the summer. He ended up playing in the gold medal game for them. And then, of course, this year, uh, he's Mr. Shutout at Northeastern University. So tremendous college career starting for Devin Levi. But, I mean, yeah, goaltending is is such a, a tough position at this age. I think Canada has put themselves in a position to succeed by going with three. Devin Levi had one of the best terms we've ever seen from a, a goalie of the World Junior statistically. and But it didn't 
matter in the end. He didn't get the battle he wanted. Uh, all right, next question comes from Sabres51. I've asked before, but Uka Pekalukkanen, does he have a bright future in Buffalo? Yeah, I still think he does. And, you know, he played last uh, night. He played last night. He only gave up two goals. And as we mentioned earlier, one of those goals had literally never happened in the NHL before. So I'm not sure how you would be prepared to stop somebody Michiganing the puck over your shoulder and somebody else batting it in in front of you. Um, you know, 913 save percentage on the night. Uh, yeah, you know, and I do like that the Sabres are not rushing him. You know, he lost a lot of development time due to injury. And, and that's something that you really can't dismiss with a netminder because we already know that with a typical goaltender, even the blue chippers, you know, they need years after they've been drafted to become an NHL product. And, you know, some guys can do it almost right away. You know, Carter Hart, Spencer Knight, but even the two of them are just kind of doing okay right now you know Spencer Knight was better last year than he has been so far this season at least statistically speaking so for Luokanen to sort of get starts here and there you know to get AHL time and to get as much you know time as possible in Rochester I think that's the best scenario for him and then I think next season you say okay are you the guy that's going to give us maybe 25-30 games as a backup who's more of a 1B. You know, Buffalo, I mean, their net mining situation is wide open, uh, and it'll be interesting to see what they do in the short term, uh, whether it's the rest of this season or next season. But Luokinen, I, I think he's developing fine. And, you know, so far, so good uh, with his first start. You know, his team didn't win, but they also didn't score a goal against the Ducks, so you can't blame him. Next question comes from Zegris is life. It's not about Zegris. Luke Evangelista, Oakville Rangers, uh, will he be a difference maker in the NHL? I think so. And, you know, I think Evangelista is going to be an important player for Canada at the World Juniors because he can fit up and down the lineup. He's got that great motor. He's got a lot of skill. And, you know, coming through that London Knights program, they've been an NHL factory during the Hunter Brothers years. And part of the reason why is, is kids really have to pay their dues because there's always older talent on the team. And the great thing about Evangelista is he really bought into his role when he was a younger player. And he knew that if he did the right things on the ice, you know, if you play a two-way game, if you're responsible, then eventually you are going to get that power play time. You are going to get that top line time. And he, you know, he even leapfrogged some older players um, early on in his career. And now, of course, he's sort of the star for London. Uh, certainly up front, he's the star. And I think that bodes well for his career. Now, what is his NHL upside? Is he sort of the third player on your top line where he's a great complimentary guy like a, you know, like a Zach Hyman? Or is he you know, one of the best players on your second line? I think that's probably the range that I see him in where he has that potential to be a top six guy probably in the three to five range in terms of your top six forwards. Um, I, I think the next couple of years are going to be very interesting. You know, Nashville is a, a team that typically doesn't rush players. There's usually a stop in Milwaukee before you get to Music City. And so I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Evangelista hook up with the Admirals first. Uh, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think he'll continue to develop his game. And I think he'll be uh, a pretty successful NHLer because he seems like he's got a good head on his shoulders. All right. This question comes from Ducks Suck. What's Trevor Zegers' ceiling? 
Well, I think what we're seeing is kind of what we expected when when you forecast these young players, especially in their draft year. I mean, we all get very excited, but I mean, Trevor Zegers is looking like he'll be a number one center and and obviously a dazzling playmaker at that. He can score, but it's the creativity with his passing that makes him special. And we've already seen it, you know, and we've already mentioned it twice on this podcast that he's just thinking the game in a way that players in previous generations dared not to do. And it's very exciting to see what players like Zegers are doing right now. And I think we're going to see more of it as time goes on. Like the Michigan is basically part of everybody's arsenal now, at least in that younger generation that's coming up in the NHL. Whereas, you know, I remember talking to Joe Pavelski last season and he was kind of marveling at how many players can do that now. And he was saying, yeah, like, you know, when I was coming up, you know, you'd probably have to fight if you tried that in the NHL because the old guard did not like that showiness. But Zegers, I think he's off to a fantastic start. We, you know, we're going to see him round out his game even more as time goes on. But yeah, I mean, he's a number one center. That, that's his ceiling. And I think he can be, you know, that guy that we see at every all-star game. And, um, you know, depending on how well the Ducks develop in the coming years, he's the kind of guy that I would expect kind of 85, 90 points from uh, if everything works out. All right, next question comes from Jorge B. Swan. You've talked about small goalies before, but what's the smallest you'd want a goalie to be considered good enough for the NHL? Okay, so you know, to be an NHL goaltender, I would I, I I'm most comfortable with six foot one. I would prefer six foot two. And you know, you look at some of the guys that have had some really good runs in the NHL that are in that kind of six foot one range. Carter Hart has been very up and down. Philip Grubauer, very interesting case study because he was nominated for the Vesna Trophy last season, playing on a very good Colorado Avalanche team, goes to Seattle and has struggled mightily. Now, is it because he's, you know, quote unquote, only six foot one? Uh, is it because Seattle's defense isn't as good as Colorado's team defense? Is it just because, you know, Structure-wise, he's getting adjusted to a new team. Uh, have, have people caught on to him? It's hard to say. But, you know, again, you look at some of those guys that you really count on in the NHL, and they all tend to be those six foot three and up guys. Um, and, of course, you know, six foot two, got some good ones there too. So for me personally, uh, I'm most comfortable with six foot two and up. I can live with six foot one. Uh, and then I, you know, I tip my cap to the Nedeljkovic's and the UC Saros's of the world because they managed to carve out starter time uh, despite being smaller. Uh, for me, it all comes down to playoffs and you know championships, where I really think size makes a difference. And again, you know Grubauer with Colorado last year, uh, you know we expected the Avs to go a lot further. It wasn't all on him, obviously you know, the whole team needed to to pull together. But it just it just seems and even going back to Devin Levi last year, had one of the best world junior tournaments we've seen from a Canadian goaltender in a long time. And then gold medal game, he loses to six foot three Spencer Knight, uh, who was just better. And I've seen it in more Memorial Cups. I've seen it in under 18 tournaments. For whatever reason, you just need that height when the stakes are the highest. 
Also, to be fair to Spencer Knight, if you take that first game out of the equation where I think it was against Russia, the the big, the the bad game, right? The Spencer Knight's still had one of the best tournaments we'd seen in the last decade after that. Exactly. Like, he was dominant afterwards. And all the people are talking, oh, he's a bust. It's like, well, clearly not. <laughs> no, Everything ever since that one game has been pretty darn He's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this next question, and I wanted to put this one in just because this photo was Pavel Bure's face on Felix Pavin's, like, body. Interesting. Pads. Was, I don't, so his name's Pavel Cat. Some big upper deck early 90s energy. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's that. Yeah, I'd say that. At this point, are you liking Bedard or Mitchkov more, and why? Okay, so this is really an interesting question because you know Bedard has had a a good season with the Regina Pats. He's not putting up gaudy numbers because he doesn't have a lot of guys to play off. You know, Riker Evans, um, you know, on defense can give you those power play points, um, but there's not a lot of high end guys surrounding Bedard right now in Regina. So we're still seeing the highlight plays where Bedard kind of says like, I'm just going to do this, you know, and you're probably not going to stop me. So I still believe that he will probably be the first overall pick in 2023 because Matthew Mitchkoff has that really long contract with SKA St. Petersburg in the KHL, you know, teams that typically pick first overall, don't want to wait three years for that lottery pick to join their team. So, I mean, Mitchkoff right now, I mean, he's playing amazing. He's so dynamic. I think he's going to be incredible at the World Juniors for Russia. Um, you know, he's going to be, I, I'll just say it, he's going to be their most skilled player, even though he's going to be their youngest player. So in terms of play right now, Mitchkoff probably has an edge, but overall... You know, Bedard, I just think he projects to be an impact NHLer sooner uh, because he's not beholden to a contract. And of course, he will not have to adjust to the North American game. He already knows what the deal is over here because he's played it all his life. Mitchkoff, we're going to have to wait for. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Mitchkoff even falls to like number three in that draft because you also have Adam Fantilli, who obviously is not going to have to be. Uh, under contract with anybody else, uh, you know he's committed to the University of Michigan, and I would suspect that as soon as he's drafted, he will probably go to the NHL. So, I guess I'm on the fence. You know, I, I think Michkov is probably putting up the better numbers right now, uh, but I still think Bedard is going to go number one because he's incredible, and you can have him right away. All right, last question comes from Riceguard. What are you looking forward to the most at the World Junior Championship this year? Well, I really like this question, so thanks for asking. Um, there's two things. One is off the ice, and it's just going to the World Juniors again. Didn't ha- wasn't able to go last year because there was a pandemic, and it was in the bubble. Um, and you know, for prospect writers, the World Juniors is always fun because you get reporters from around the world, so you get to see friends that you literally only see once, maybe twice a year. You know, because sometimes you'll get uh, those people coming to the draft as well, or maybe they'll come to the Stanley Cup final. But, you know, seeing people that I, I haven't seen now in a couple of years is is going to be great for me. Uh, it's something I really appreciate, you know, just getting to talk to people from Europe and talk to people from Russia and, you know, bouncing things off of them, just sort of catching up. Uh, and then on the ice, you know, I, I'm going to I'm going to center in on the quarterfinals because as I like to say, 
Anything can happen in the quarterfinals, whereas nothing tends to happen in the semifinal. Uh, the quarterfinals, when you get your upsets, and then those teams tend to run into a wall in the semifinal. But because we now have five teams that can always go for gold, and that would be Canada, the USA, Russia, Sweden, and Finland, because you got those five teams, one of them always loses in the quarterfinal. Um, that. Because two of them always play each other. You really can't avoid it anymore. And that makes it super exciting. Heartbreaking for the teams that thought they would win gold and end up going out on the, the first day of the medal round. But that excitement to me is so compelling. And being able to watch you know, these kids in person, especially the European kids that obviously I don't typically see in person until this tournament, is so valuable uh, to what we do here at the Hockey News that I really appreciate that opportunity. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to a lot of it, uh, both on and off the ice. Yeah, and Sweden in, in particular has to have a good tournament. They've had a rough few months of international hockey. The World Championship didn't even make the playoffs. So the U18s, Mark, yeah, they, they got to have a good run here. They do. And, you know, Sweden in particular is a team that it's so surprising. I think they've only won gold twice. Uh, you know, once was back uh, in Calgary, uh, the Mika Zibanejad tournament. And then the other one, I think, was in the early 80s. So for a program that is always elite and had that crazy, you know, round robin winning streak that was just snapped last year, um, I, you know, I really want to see what Sweden can do. And I, I think they've got a pretty good squad this year. You know, we were talking beforehand that their goaltending is awesome. They have three great goaltenders. Um, because they have Callie Klang, Jesper Vickman, and Jesper Wallstedt. So, uh, yeah, Sweden's going to be very intriguing. And, uh, again, it's going to be fun to see who can break through. Because I think Slovakia is going to be really fun this year, too. How far they can go remains to be seen. But I'm really looking forward to at least, you know, getting to see those kids on the World Junior stage again. See, the thing about Sweden, because obviously their their long streak is over finally, they could kind of refocus, But mm -hmm. uh, and the players would never say anything, but I'm curious really what the, like how much pressure was actually on those kids each year. Like, did they ever even think about that? Because mm -hmm. it's it's not like the, the Toronto Maple Leafs that they've, they've had the same group year after year in these first right. round exits. Um, so that kind of stings with them. But these kids, like they're new every year. I wonder yeah. if that even like really if they even think about that. You know, I mean, if I were to think about it, I think the pressure comes in the fact that Sweden hasn't been able to win gold very often. And, you know, the problem was they would never lose in the round robin and then they would get to the medal round and all of a sudden they would face more adversity and it would just come too fast for them. And, you know, this is not something that's uh, just a, a Swedish problem. You know, Canada last year, they just breezed through the round robin, they breezed through most of the medal round, and then they got to the final against Team USA, and the Americans punched them in the mouth. Americans right had away. to do a lot of adversity to get there, and the Americans had a lot of adversity. You mentioned that game against Russia right away, and you know it's too bad because there always seems to be a group of death at the World Juniors, and then there's the other pool. So, and for whatever reason, it always seems to be Sweden, Russia, and the USA, and then Canada and Finland in recent years. And I, I think that's been that's been tough both ways. Either you get battered early on and maybe exposed, or you only have one competitive game and then you have to turn it up a notch. Um, so it's it's too bad they can't finesse the groups 
a little more, but you know, I understand that it's it's done by rankings, so hey, it's understandable. That's it. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone. Thank you for your questions and get excited for the World Juniors. It is around the corner. And we have a World Junior Preview a podcast coming in the coming weeks. Indeed we will. I can feel-